Good to see you guys. Go ahead, grab your Bibles and open up to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, okay? As you get there, I'll, I'll say this. If you are new to Doxa, welcome again to the Doxa family. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you part of, of Doxa this morning. Um, I know that like finding a church, if you are new, is kind of like a, a difficult thing. And so let me just kind of just like show the cards a little bit. Sam mentioned we got intro to Doxa coming up here in a few weeks, but this is really kind of what we seek to do as a, as a church family. Nothing like innovative or super novel, but it's, it's simply this, Okay. We just try and live as a church family to our best ability to open up our lives to love people and then open up our Bibles to learn and hear from God. And, and this is just really kind of our rhythm as we gather as the church. And this is what we're going to be doing this morning as we continue through our study of, of 1 Corinthians today. Because when it comes to the Bible, guys, we, we believe that this is a book that God wrote. All right, that this isn't just a human book or a helpful book, but this is a deeply spiritual book that really contains the words of God, that we believe that every word that is in this book is inspired and breathed out by God for our good, that this helps us to understand who God is, who we are, and really life in general. And so if you don't have a Bible, guys, we would love to give you one as a gift. As you head out of here, you can stop to the left as you walk out of the auditorium to the welcome space. We have a wall full of Bibles. We'd love to give you the gift of, of God's word that'll point you to Jesus, Grab a couple for your family on your way out. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today, all right? And chances are, I don't know where everybody is at in this room in terms of like spirituality, your, your relationship with God, Christianity, your view of the Bible. But what the words that we're gonna get into today, that we're gonna read here in just a few minutes, are likely gonna sound really, really familiar to you, all right? That if you've been to a wedding, most likely you've, you've heard this. All right, if you've shopped for home decor at like Hobby Lobby or Walmart or Home Goods, you've seen this on candles and picture frames and doilies. I don't know if they were doily, I don't know. But you, you've seen this everywhere because honestly, these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 are some of the most famous and honestly beautifully written words that we have in our world today when it comes to this idea of love. All right, and so love is this big topic for us today. And if you've been around, you know, for this 32-week study through 1 Corinthians, all right, this is going to be kind of a, a nice break, right? I mean, really, if you've been around, it, it, we've gone through some hard stuff, some really weird stuff, because 1 Corinthians, it's, it's really helpful, it's extremely practical, but it's kind of filled with just like issues, because this church that the Apostle Paul was writing 1 Corinthians 2 was just this young church. They loved Jesus, they were trying to follow Jesus, but it was just filled with confusion and sin. And this confusion and sin was just leading to a whole lot of problems in this church, this local family of God. And the Apostle Paul is just simply writing this letter of 1 Corinthians to help them to navigate this. But in the past weeks, right, we've, we've talked about just the, these weird, confusing issues, some of them hard of like pride and marriage and divorce and sex and gender. And then we got into the real exciting stuff that was super clear of like head coverings, right? And then meat sacrifice to idols and people getting drunk at communion and then a guy sleeping with his stepmom and calling it worship, right? Just a bunch of like really weird stuff. And it was hard, right? We had to work really hard to actually understand what is going on and then do the really difficult work of bridging the gap from their town to our town and saying, like, how do we actually apply this to our lives here in the everyday stuff of, like, Madison? But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, man, this is going to be like a warm hug from grandma, okay? Love, super easy, way easier than head coverings, amen? 
Well, it is for me. Okay, I was really excited about this one. Okay, but guys, we're just going to read this. We got this topic of love today. We're going to read this and then we're going to get right to work with understanding and applying. Okay, so chapter 13, verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, So as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And here comes Hobby Lobby. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, what we just read, as we've been studying 1 Corinthians, this can be kind of regarded as the thematic center of 1 Corinthians, this big idea of love, that in the midst of all the problems and all of this dysfunction in this early church, if the Corinthians would have just embraced this and kind of had this posture and this practice of love, the problems and the division and all the dysfunction in this church would have really just ceased. That 1 Corinthians at its core really just revolves around this idea of love. And now here's the really important thing to remember about this, okay? Chapter 13 that we're getting into is, is oftentimes called the love chapter. But we need to remember that this is in the context of chapters 12 and 14, where Paul is talking about this idea of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And so Paul, he's not just kind of like saying, you know what I really want to do? The head covering stuff, the drunken communion, that was really tough. Let me just do a standalone sermon on love. That'll make people feel better. But really, this is to him explaining spiritual gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit in this church. All right? He's not just kind of doing a one-off thing, but he's talking about love as it relates to how the church gathers in the midst of spiritual gifts. Because if you remember chapter 12, if you look back, it discussed the kind of the endowment and the interrelatedness of the spiritual gifts that God gives the church. And chapter 14 that we're going to get into next week really just presents the proper posture of the spiritual gifts being used in the church. There's an orderly way that God has for this to happen. But here in chapter 13, All right, Paul gives us the proper attitude and really just the overall atmosphere that God intends the spiritual gifts to be used. And and one of the big issues, one of the major controversies that was happening in this uniquely broken church of Corinth was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And at the core of this controversy, basically it revolved around this question, and it's likely a question that maybe you've thought about. Maybe you think about as you look at yourself in the mirror and you sit in church, but it's this. The people in Corinth were asking, what does a really spiritual person look like? You ever ask that? 
Or maybe the, another way to put it is like, man, what does a really, really good Christian look like? And some of these people, a lot of these people in the church in Corinth, here's what they were saying. They were saying, you know what? You'll know it. You'll know these very spiritual people because they will have extraordinary gifts. They will be very gifted people, miraculous gifts, specifically the gift of tongues. And as they said this, all right, what they were doing is they were kind of creating like a two-level class of Christianity, okay? You had your really, really gifted people that had these miraculous gifts that were kind of like God's varsity team, right? Stellar. But then you have these other people that are like, yeah, they love Jesus, but not super gifted. They're kind of like the JV. They're going to hang out on the bench with the cheerleaders. But, you know, these pe- and that's what they were doing. They were saying there's two different classes of Christianity. But if you look to chapter 12, verse 31, I want you to look back there. This is what Paul says. Paul says, you're not thinking about this right. Look at verse 31 of chapter 12. He talks about a more excellent way. He's like, it's not just about these miraculous giftings that people have, but this more excellent way that the Corinthians were not living by, guys, is the way of love. And so Paul is saying, this is what really spiritual, Jesus-loving people look like. That love is the key indicator of a person's relationship with God. And so you can't forget that. You gotta let that sink in, okay? Because one of the fundamental problems in Corinth is that the Christians there, they were not living with love. That was the Sunday school thing. And some of you that have grown up in the church and you've done the Sunday school and the Awana and the Bible Trivia Bowl and all that stuff, you're especially susceptible to think that this idea of love, that's JV. We need to talk about more significant stuff. Paul is saying, no, 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 this is the more excellent way. And instead of the Corinthians living in love, they were focusing and boasting on their spiritual giftedness. All right, that rather than seeing all of the gifts that God gives as good and useful for the church and for unity and health and vibrancy, they were focusing and using them selfishly, which was just breeding division and disunity in this church. Because the Corinthians, right? and, and I, would, I would speculate that this isn't so distant from the church in America today, but the Corinthians were failing to remember that everything we have is a gift given by God who commands us to live outwardly towards others in love. That love is the key ingredient in the mixture. Doxa, please remember this. You cannot forget this. Love is the key thing. And this is why Paul says what he does. All right, this chapter can really be broken down. If you look back, it can be broken down into three sections. If you look at verses one through three, Paul is gonna talk about the importance of love. And then verses four through seven, he's gonna explain the nature of love. And then verses eight through 13, he's gonna wrap this up and talk about the endlessness of love. And so this is how we're gonna approach understanding this, the importance of love, the nature of love, and the endlessness of love. Look back to verse one. All right, we see the importance of love. Here's what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing." And so the, the Corinthians, what these Christians were saying is like what really matters and what really makes us really, really spiritual people, they were saying this, well, I speak in tongues. Like I can prophesy, I can do miracles, I have incredible faith, I give away all my money. 
I'm being pilled for my faith and persecuted. But Paul says, you know what? That is totally great. But without love, you're nothing. You actually gain nothing. And Docs, I want you to hear this. Someone in here probably needs to hear this. God is not impressed by how gifted you think you are. He's just not. His desire for your life is to love like he loves. Now, when we talk about love, that very word, love, causes us all sorts of problems in the English language, right? Like I can say I I really love Jesus, but I also really love Greenbush Bakery, right? I mean, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love this church, but I also love pizza, packers, and a good cold beer, amen? Yes, so we, we get so confused with love, all right? The truth is that many people not just outside the church, but many Christians even tend to think of love only in terms of like feeling nice, warm feelings, having like an affection or a romance or a desire. But I want you to know this is not how Paul speaks about love here. It's in a completely different way. And in the Greek language of Paul's day, there were at least three words that can be translated into the English word love. First was the word eros. All right, and eros is a word that actually doesn't appear in the Bible, but it points to this idea of a love that's like a self-pleasing and passionate love. The word eros is where we get our English word erotic from. The second word, philia, is is a word that points to like a strong brotherly uh, affection, this brotherly love. So you think Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's this camaraderie between two people in a deep friendship. Now, Paul's not using eros and he's not using philia. He uses a totally different word to talk about love and it's the word agape. And agape love is is really one of the rarest words that is used in ancient Greek literature, but hear this. It's one of the most commonly used words in the New Testament. And agape love really refers to a love that seeks the highest good for another person, even, even at the cost of your own personal benefit, safety, or security. It's a love that really just implies like a permanence or an unconditional commitment. It's a love that's a decision more than a feeling. I mean, that should fly in the face of what we think about love in our country a lot of times because love for us is like, I don't feel like loving you, so it's over. No, no, no. This type of love is, is a decision, not just a feeling. It's a commitment more than just an everyday relationship. Agape love means loving not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the other person. And this agape love, hear this, Doxa. This agape love is what Jesus says is the identifying mark of Christians. Or at least it should be. Listen to this, John chapter 13. This is how Jesus says it. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you, are, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then John chapter 15, Jesus goes on, he says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So here's some of the importance of love. Okay, Doc, so when we come to the Bible and we look at the words of Jesus, Jesus left no doubt that love, agape love, self-sacrificing, unconditional love is the supreme mark of discipleship to him. 
And this is just an opportunity for us just to like back up and just examine our lives. I mean, this is really why the Apostle John says in 1 John 4 that if someone claims to love God, if someone comes in here and they got their hands up in worship and they're singing hallelujah, but they don't love people, you know what John says? 1 John 4, he says they're a liar. And the truth of God, the love of God might not be in them. This is why the Apostle Paul, he's going to go on in chapter 16, and he says because of this supreme reality that Christians should be marked by love, Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we should, as Christians, do everything out of love. So, Doxa, hear me on this. Above everything else, we should be known for love. If you're a Christian... Just pause and let that sink in. You should be known by your love above everything else. That right theology is not a substitute for love. Your Bible knowledge, your quiz bowl championship trophies that you have, not a substitute for love. Religious works, not a substitute for love. Church attendance, Bible study attendance, your, your bookshelf, not a substitute for love. Nothing substitutes love. And this is what the Corinthians were, were forgetting. They were getting wrapped up in all types of like church religious stuff and they were just like forgetting the primacy of love. They were forgetting about Jesus. And so Paul, look back to verse one. Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. All right, here's what he's saying. He's like, I can speak in tongues all day long, all right? And, and tongues, literally translated, just means languages. And we're going to talk more about this last week. I decided I didn't want to do that, so I'm going to punt this one over to David for next week, and we'll have fun with that. So if you're like, what does tongues mean? Come next week, and it'll be fun, right? But Paul is saying, I can speak in tongues all day long, but if I'm a jerk, it doesn't matter. All right, he's saying, this is great that you have that gift. That's miraculous, but you need to be loving too, okay? I mean, this is literally how simple of what he's saying. See, every Christian, and, and some of you Christians, you just need to know this, every Christian has different gifts. You are gifted by God, but we're all supposed to have what? Love. And our gifts are little more than different ways that we can all love each other. All right, so if you're a servant, you love by serving. If you're a teacher, you love by teaching. If you're a helper, you love by helping. If you're a leader, you love by leading. Doc, so we just need to get this, that our spiritual gifts, and every one of us is gifted if we are in Christ, are just different ways for us to love each other. And so we, if we have the gift but we don't have the love, we've missed the entire point. This is what Paul is saying. And the Corinthians, they were just like, well, hey, well, here's the thing, though. I speak in tongues. And not only that, but I speak in tongues way better than you. And not even way better, but way more than you. And Paul, he kind of steps in. He's saying, that's super great. You are really, really gifted, but you're not very nice. And so you're really good at the tongue thing. You're really terrible at Christianity. Okay? This is what it is. In verse 2, if we look, he says, and if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And again, we're going to talk about prophecy more next week, but Paul is once again saying, you might be out of this world gifted, and everybody might see it, 
They're going to be like, wow, that is a gifted person. You might be that way. You might know a ton of stuff, but if you don't have love, you're jack squat. That's what the Greek says. You can look it up, okay? But this is what he, that's what he's saying. You're nothing. Nothing. And so Paul is saying, like, you can move mountains. You can walk on water. But if you're a jerk, you're missing the point. It doesn't matter. You're on a different playing field than what God intends. And guys, I, I was thinking about this. You know, uh, it made me think back. So God allowed me to marry just a magnificent woman. Lisa and I have been married for 12 years. I almost forgot what that year was at the first service. Started sweating a little bit because I knew she was listening. 12 years, baby, if you're listening, okay? Um, but I remember, like, we were dating, and we were sitting. I could take you to the drive-thru, the McDonald's drive-thru in Menor, Ohio. And in the midst of this, I had just become a Christian. I was taking seminary classes. I was, I, at that point, I had been a Christian for maybe a year. I had already read the Bible through like five times. I was getting a master's degree in theology. I had these big, thick books that I would carry into the coffee shop so everybody thought I was super spiritual and all, you know what I mean, like reading theology. And I remember we were sitting in McDonald's parking lot. I just really needed a Big Mac. My blood sugar was dropping. I was panicking. And the person must not have been moving fast enough in front of me. And so I think I yelled out the window and started just yelling at him. And I remember Lisa, we didn't really know each other that well, but she looked at me and she's like, wow, you know what? So interesting. You know a lot about Jesus, but you certainly don't live like him. And I was just like, who is this woman? Like, do I need to like kick her out of the car right now or do I need to marry her? And you know what? I married her and she has helped make me a better man. But I was confronted with the idea. I knew a lot about Jesus. I didn't love like him at all. 1 John 2, 6 says, if anyone claims to live in him, they must walk as Jesus did. That's the hard part of being a Christian. It's easy to come in here and memorize some verses. We follow Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. And to hammer this idea home, he gives a third example, chapter or verse three. If I give all I have, and I am delivered up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's saying, even if I give away everything I have to the poor, if I write big philanthropic checks to, to these organizations that help people, and even if I take a bullet for someone, or even if I'm like martyred and killed for my faith, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Paul says it doesn't count. It doesn't matter because you could do all of that stuff and not do it out of love, but you could do it out of selfishness so people could look at you and be like, wow, look at Rob, look how spiritual he is. But I don't do it out of love. I'm just doing it to get a... This is what Paul is saying. Doxa, you may be gifted in incredible ways, but if you don't have love, the gift is worthless. This is the point. And this is not to devalue the gifts of the Spirit, but just recognizing how we use every gift that God gives us. And so if you want to exercise the spiritual gift that you have in the right way, bringing glory to God and good to other people, listen to this. Do not focus on your gift. Focus on the people that you're trying to serve and to love with that gift. This is the whole point for Paul, that love is essential to properly using what God has given you. And so many people will come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and they'll kind of come to a quick conclusion and maybe some of you are thinking this right now and thinking like, okay, 
we just probably should just forget about all these spiritual gifts. So it's like forget about tongues and miracles and prophecy and all that stuff. It's weird anyway. I don't know what that means. And we just need to love people. Just all we need is love. And this, just, just love. Don't worry about the spiritual gifts. And if you're tempted to do this, I just want you to know that you're terribly missing Paul's point. Because if you look, look to chapter 14, verse 1. Look how Paul summarizes this message. He says, in light of all this, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. All right, so it's not that we stop desiring the gifts of the Spirit, but instead we recognize that we need both, love and the Spirit, to live like Jesus. And here at Doxa, I'll tell you this. If you're, if you're new and you're kind of like trying to figure out, like, what does this church believe? How do I fit? Like, what about this stuff? I want you to know, like, we, we believe in the gifts of tongues. We believe in the gift of prophecy and healing and all the gifts. We just say, in addition to tongues and healing and prophecy, all the gifts, be loving, like Jesus. This is the point. Love like Jesus and use your gifts in that way. And I'll tell you this very practically, Doxa. We, this is where we sit right now. We need to understand that without love, our church is useless. Without love, guys, the gospel that we preach for the redemption and salvation of sinners will just be a loud, annoying gong. Any of you had like a neighbor that has a dog that they put in the backyard that like barks for like 17 hours straight? You, you have one of those? It's the worst, right? You just want to kill them. Why do you think so many people have problems with Christians? Because we're like the yipping dog that doesn't start. We're an annoying gong because we say that we have this gospel of love, this great news, and we know it, and we have the right things to say, but we don't live it out. And Paul is saying, you're just like an annoying gong. And people don't want to listen to that. Without love, all the things that we strive to do as a church, that we hired Sam to make sure that our heart keeps beating towards Madison, all of that stuff will be nothing. Without love, Doxa Church will never become the church that Jesus died to establish. That's just the reality. And it's my prayer that what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, that above all, we would love that God would allow this to be the reality of Doxa Church. Because, you know, we're about to celebrate three, our three-year anniversary, right? Three-year three birthday, I don't know, anniversary, birthday, whatever you call it. We're gonna, we have exist, existed for three years. As I think about the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 years, there's one thing above everything that I hope we're known for in this city. And it's not that we have a really weird church with a rock wall and trampolines and we have a really cool band I hope people say, that church really loves people. I hope people even say, you know what? I don't really even agree with everything that they say, but man, I can't deny that they love us. Love. Paul wants to impress on the Corinthians and onto us today a vital formula, and I want you to write this down at the top of 1 Corinthians 13 in your Bible. It's gonna come up here. Everything minus love equals nothing. Doc, so we need to understand this. Now, this leads to a question, a big question. If this is the importance of love, if love is that important, then it's the night at the Roxbury question, right? What is love? Right, you guys ever seen that movie? I'm dating myself. 
I, I don't watch it. I don't know if it's good or not, but what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I'm, I'm losing it, okay? But here, what is it? Because he shows us this importance, right? And then he goes on and he says, okay, now here is the nature. Here's what love is. Verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is a beautiful description of love. This is the true nature of love. And this is honestly like perhaps the most comprehensive biblical description of the fullness of love that we have. You guys remember like those little prisms? Did you have a prism when you were a kid? A little piece of glass that you shine light through and then you see like a rainbow or whatever? What Paul essentially does here is he shines love through a prism and we see 15 of its colors and hues, the spectrum of love. And each ray gives us a facet of agape love that comes from God and marks the Christian. And unlike most English translations, I want you to hear this, the Greek forms of all these facets of love, hear this, guys, they're verbs. So I know I'm not an English major. I had to look up what a verb was when I discovered that. But what that means is that love does not mean love unless it acts and does something. And so this list does not focus on what love is so much on what love does and does not do. Okay, so understand this, agape love is active. It's not abstract, it's not just a passive thing, it's not just a feeling. It simply doesn't feel patient, but it practices patience. It doesn't simply have kind feelings, but it does kind things. It doesn't simply recognize the truth, but it rejoices in the truth. Love is fully love only when it acts. This is what John said in 1 John 3.18. He said, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And Paul's purpose in giving this list is not to give us like a technical analysis of love, but to break it down into smaller parts so that we can understand it and apply their full, rich meanings to our life. See, Paul, he's not trying to like instruct the Corinthians, but change their living habits. And guys, so many Christians, we play the game. We do the Christian religious thing. We, We know how to do it. Some of you guys know the game so well. And we sit in a place like this, we, we soak in the information, we occasionally give the mm-hmm, you know, and then we kind of live and leave out of here and we don't do anything about it. Paul is saying, this is what love does. I'm trying to change your life so you look more like Jesus. And this is what God is trying to do with us today, to change us, not to just help us to know more stuff, but to really kind of change us so we live our lives more like Jesus. He's writing to the, Christi- or the Christians in Corinth and he's wanting them and God is wanting us to carefully and honestly measure our lives against these characteristics of love. And so look back at verses four through seven right now. Does this list describe you? I mean, put your name in there. Rob is patient and kind. Rob does not envy or boast. Rob is not arrogant or rude. Rob does not insist on his own way. Rob is not irritable or resentful. Rob does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Rob bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
As you put your name in there, how does that go for you? How are you feeling right now? I mean, does this look like you? If I was to talk to your spouse and just be like, hey, what do you think? Does that look like them? Oh, yeah, that's Jimmy, right? Every day, love, patient, kind, all of it, all the time. Every single day, good Jimmy, right? No, likely not. And guys, you know what? This is like one of those times. You know how I felt reading this passage this week? I was so happy that there was not head coverings or gender or anything like that. I was just like, love, this is great. And then I started reading it like that. And you know how I felt? I do this thing now where a lot of my sermons I write in my car. Don't know why. I pull over on the side of the road and I camp out there for like an hour, spend too much money on gas, but I'm sitting in my car. And I'm reading, and I just had to put down the Bible. And the thought that popped into my head is somebody else needs to preach this. Like I feel like a hypocrite. Like Rob Warren is way off the mark. And I'm sorry if you have put me up on a pedestal as your pastor, you just need to know that I'm as just jacked up and sinful as every other single person in this room. I strive to be a godly man. I strive to love Jesus with my whole heart. I strive to love people. I strive to do these things. But I'm just broken. And so are you. The truth is that this list describes who we all want to be but none of us are. And in the midst of like the heaviness that I felt this week, my birthday every year, I reflect on a quote by a man named John Newton. And it gave me comfort. And I quote, this is what he says. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am is the Christian life is not about perfection, it's about progression. It's about us faithfully walking with God, being led by the Spirit, killing sin, gradually becoming more and more like Jesus. And I'm not who I used to be. You don't even know who I used to be, and I'm glad. (laughs) I can point back to it, and you'd be like, don't say that from the stage but I'm not, and I'm not who I wanna be. But by the grace of God, I look back to last year and I say, Rob Warren has changed. Glory to God. And for those of you who are single, let me just say this, this has nothing to do, well, it's love, but marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. Because I married a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves me, and she has only gotten better. Like, she doesn't even compare to the woman that I married 12 years ago. She is so much better because this is the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit working in us, changing us more and more into the image of God. Isn't that great? Praise God. This list doesn't come close to looking like us. It certainly doesn't look like the Corinthians. In fact, Paul is telling them of this nature of love, and it's almost as if he's saying, hey, Corinthians, you know what? You want to know what love is? 
it's not you. Right? He's saying, like, this is not you. And in verses four through seven, he lists off these five characteristics of what love is not, where elsewhere in the letter he says this was true of the Corinthians. Let me show you this. Look back. He says, love does not envy. All right, the church of Corinth was filled with envy and jealousy and rivalries, so much so that they were picking their favorite preachers and boasting about them. All right, they were printing off David Livingston t-shirts and Rob Warren flat bills, and they were like, I'm with that guy, right? They're like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. It was just crazy in this church. But Paul says, that's not love. Look back, Paul says, love does not boast or brag. The Christians in this church were obsessed with themselves, so prideful. They were boasting about everything that they could do to put a show on in front of other people so they could get a pat on the back and the applause of people. Paul says, this is not love. Paul says, love is not arrogant, meaning puffed up which is the exact word that Paul used to talk about the Corinthians in chapter four and five. Love is not rude. That word literally means like an unbecoming way of living, a disgraceful way of living, which is literally the disgraceful behaviors of the Corinthians that we've been watching through this entire book so far. Guys getting drunk at communion, sleeping with their stepmom, going to church, like this is just what he's saying. He's like, that is not love, and you can keep going. Love does not insist on its own ways, which is again, chapter 10, just a few weeks ago. This is how the Corinthians were living. They're like, I don't care about how you want to see things. This is how I see it. And it was the context of meat sacrifice to idols. They were just living in a way that is not loving. And when these Christians would hear this, it would make them stop in their shoes because they were like, wow, that's not us. This is like a really strong rebuke to these Christians in Corinth. And guys, I think it should do the same thing to us. There's those times in the Bible where the Bible becomes a mirror and we see ourselves in light of the words of God. But before you get bummed out and fall into utter despair and think you can't come back to church anymore, I need you to hear this, okay? While this list doesn't describe any of us, it does describe someone. All right, Paul is painting a portrait of love and Jesus Christ is sitting in for the portrait. Jesus lived out in perfection all of these aspects of love and this is such a beautiful picture of Jesus. Let's read four through seven again with Jesus in there. Look at this. Jesus is patient and kind. Do you know that? Do you know how patient Jesus is with you and your sin? Romans 5.8, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. In fact, he came as a servant and he humbled himself to serve you and to save you. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. He actually lays down his will for the will of the Father that would send him to the cross to die for us. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Do you know how good of news that is? Because some of us are more broken than others, but we're all really, really broken, and we're gonna show up in heaven with a list of wrongdoings, and the only thing we can say is Jesus. He doesn't keep a record. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He literally endures everything all the way to the cross to save you. And I want you to know, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the Bible, the worst thing for you to do today would be to walk out of this place and think, wow, Doxa Church really does want to love people and they want to help me be loving. We're not interested in changing necessarily your behavior. 
We want to change your relationship with the Father. Because if you get that right, if you can come to Jesus in faith, he will give you a new heart. He will make you a new creation. And you will love like him out of the overflow of what you receive. That's why we always say it's all about Jesus. It's not about us just gritting it and being a really loving person because we don't have that in us. We need to be new. We all need Jesus, guys. This is why we beat the same drum over and over and over again. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if we can get that right, we'll get this love thing right. So while chapter 13 points out the ways that I fall short of loving, it also points out the ways that Jesus has perfectly loved us. God is love. And through this, through Jesus, he empowers us by love, he enables us to love through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we continually fight sin and die to it, we become, by the power of God, living in us more and more like Jesus, Romans 8, 29. Paul says this is the goal. So the importance of love, the nature of love, not a time, the endlessness of love. Verse eight, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up self childless ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Doxa, throughout all of eternity, love will never end. Love lasts forever. Paul says when the perfect comes that the gifts will cease. Prophecy and knowledge will pass away. Tongues will cease to be needed. That if you just, I don't know if you think about heaven that often, but in heaven, we won't need prophecy and prophets to hear from God. Just go around the corner and talk to Jesus face to face, right? I'm going to need a new job in heaven. You're not going to need a pastor to preach. We'll just listen to Jesus. I'll be a gardener somewhere. That'll be great, right? And tongues, we won't need them because we'll all, I assume, speak a heavenly language. And so we won't need interpreters. We won't need missionaries. We won't need linguists. That'll all just be done with. And we'll be communicating in glory and complete perfection. And when he says, when the perfect comes, well, this is like a hugely debated verse. Here's what I'm inclined to believe. All right, some people will say that this perfect that is coming is when the, the scripture was canonized and completed or when the rapture happens or the maturing church. I don't think this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the eternal state, this perfection that is coming, this eternal, joyful, complete, heavenly state of believers when we will see Jesus face to face. I mean, this is the day that we long for, Right? I mean, this is a day, guys. I don't know if you think about this, but as when death and sin and shame and suffering and conflict and turmoil and tears, injustice, all of that will be gone. God will put away all of that and what we will have, perfection and love. Doctor, this is gonna be a great day. I long for this day. The best is yet to come. That's why Paul ends in verse 13 saying, now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest is love. As faith and hope will have no purpose in heaven, where everything true will be known and everything good will be possessed. It's not equal to love, that love is the greatest because it's eternal. And this is why in our current life, Jesus says, Paul says, all the apostles say, love is supreme. 
And Paul says, if you look to verse 11, stop acting like a child. These people are very immature in their faith. They could speak in tongues, they could prophesy, they could heal, but they're not loving and they're not considerate of other people and out of selfishness, just like children. They're going their own way, they're doing their own thing, they're sinning and messing up the family of God. This is what they're doing. They think that because they have spiritual gifts that they're super spiritual. Paul says no. What makes you mature and spiritual is love and humility. And the differentiation between an adult and a child is this, is that a child is absolutely self-consumed. I have kids. All they think about is themselves. Paul says, don't be consumed with yourself, be consumed with God who is love. And I'll end with this. The Moravian pastor, Nicholas Sinzendorf, he sums it up well, and I quote, I have one passion. It is he and he alone. And Doc said, this is my hope and prayer, that the Holy Spirit would sear this chapter in our heart and give us a passion like that. And in the meantime, while we wait and long till we see Jesus face to face, we remember and we live in his great love for us. And as we experience this love, it allows us to love like that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. You know my heart, you know how I felt this week as I reflected on this love passage, and how I see it so dimly in me, but I see it so perfectly in Jesus, and I just was filled with just like conviction, and I wanna be different. And I was reminded of the truth that if I'm not dead, you're not done. And so Holy Spirit, help us. You say that you're our helper. God, we wanna be your people. We wanna follow Jesus. We wanna love people like Jesus, but we know that on our own, because of our sin, we cannot do it, so we look to you as our helper. Help us to live like Jesus for your glory and the good of Madison. In Jesus' name.